Jamie Paul Lamb is an astrologer, a tarotist, practicing in the context of Western occult tradition. He's the author of three books on the subject of Freemasonry and Western esotericism, Myth, Magic, and Masonry, Occult Perspectives in Freemasonry, Approaching the Middle Chamber, The Seven Liberal Arts in Freemasonry, and The Western Esoteric Tradition, and his new book, The Archetypal Temple and Other Writings on Masonic Esotericism. And he's contributed to anthologies such as The Light Extended, A Journal of the Golden Dawn, Volume 2 and 3, and the soon-to-be-released Collectina Hermetica, The Astrology of the Golden Dawn. He is currently Worshipful Master of Ascension Lodge Number 89, Free and Accepted Mason, a frater of both the Arizona College of Societas, Rosicruciana, Incivitatibus, Foderatus, and Hermetic Society of the Golden Dawn. He's a frater a brother, and a great guy. Jamie and I are, are fratters and SRICF, and it's not often you get to sit down and have this type of conversation on the level. Jamie has an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Masonic and esoteric, which makes for a great combination for a great conversation. Yeah, like we were talking, it was funny, like um, we were talking, you were like, it was either it was either you or it could have been Gerald as well, a, right. a brother in Ohio, and um, and somebody was like, "Well, John, you were like either I do this podcast, um, you know, UFOs on the level, or Gerald was telling me that." Yeah, and and I remember standing in the parking lot with the both of you, and I was saying, "Well, yeah, I'm not really like a gray alien guy." Right. Um, I'm I'm not like a spaceship coming down and cattle mutilation and just peeking around the clouds and then just flitting away and stuff like that. Right. Like I I think if personally I think like if that stuff um were so ubiquitous and so common there and and I understand there is footage and there's tons of personal account and I'm not trying to yeah. argue that point. I'm definitely not trying to argue that point. But I'm saying my personal kind of perspective is like, and then I was thinking, you know, in my mind, I often tell people, well, I don't believe in aliens other than like panspermia. Right. I tell people that. But then I was talking to you guys in the parking lot. Um, I think it was the Masonic Lodge we were yeah, at. We were in Lima, we were yeah, we were in Lima, Ohio. Yeah, we In did Lima, a, Ohio. Yeah, we did a Rosicrucian thing and we were hanging out afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, it occurred to me through, I think you sort of prompted me to go in this direction. <laughs> it occurred to me that, um, oh, my God, like aliens, like extraterrestrial intelligence right. is is different than, you know, the colloquial alien. alien or right. I think, yeah, I think I was like off world intelligence, I think is what I said to you. And you were like. Boom, and I saw yeah. the wheels start turning, and you were like, "Wait a minute, that's a thing." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's a thing." But we paint it into this picture, like you said, of a a little gray thing, and you know, right. in, in a ship. But I mean, the connection to off-world intelligence is definitely there, man. Like, there's, yeah, that's been going on since time immemorial, right? And all of the and all of the mysteries, you know, all the mystery schools or any initiatory, uh, you know, and, and 
of course, you know, the amount of work you've done and, and your books are amazing, by the way. I mean, I love them. You know, I just keep going through and I just keep reading. I keep, try to speed. I, I, try, I speed read, but then I catch myself and I'm like, man, hey. you know, like our brother Jeff, you know, his book that of yours is like highlighted every single page. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I keep yeah. finding myself going back and then going off on that tangent. I can only imagine for you when you were writing these things, you were just kind of like, boom, and you'd find something and then you'd come back. And then, you know, that's kind of how I've been with this whole UFO thing. But I keep tying it back to my Masonic experience, you know, my... Yeah. Rosicrucian experience, you know, and all the other, you know, basically uh, all the other uh, mystery schools and, you know, and what you've actually introduced to me and to our group as well is that in tarot as well and how it all ties in and uh, especially with, um, you know, astrology and um, absolutely, man, there's so much there to unpack. (laughs) There's so much there. So that's, that's kind of what I mean is this, this idea. So when we talk about just anything that is extraterrestrial, it, that means like in the in the Neoplatonic or the Ptolemaic cosmological model, mm-hmm. you have the terrestrial sphere, right. right? And all magic and astrology and Western astrology and the magical tradition in the West is based on this. There, there are, you know, three parts of a whole thing. That is the hermetic arts, which are astrology, alchemy, and, and um, theurgy or mm-hmm. magic, right? right? So those three things work in concert together. And when we talk about a cosmology upon which they're based, we use terms like the terrestrial sphere. Right. Just like we talk about in the pillars of the Blue Lodge, the terrestrial sphere and the celestial sphere. Right. right. And we always talk about um, the hermetic kind of resonant relationship between the microcosm and the macrocosm. Right, right. And, as, and a, it, as above, so below when you get into the hermetic principles. And you know, exa- I'm, I'm exactly. always screaming that out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So th- so that's what really fascinated me in that parking lot in Lima right. was, was, oh, my God, it finally clicked where, like, I don't have any issue with extraterrestrial intelligence because I frequently work in my personal magical practice with, um, you know, and in my astrological practice with um with demons and i should qualify that term right planet planetary familiars not demons in the linda blair sense like pazuzu or whatever (laughs) yeah like these guys right 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 right. no in the platonic sense in the ancient like platonic and neoplatonic sense of a demon a personal demon which was not a good or bad entity but it was certainly an extraterrestrial entity and those are two and those terms correct yeah they are it's a it's a a planetary, you know, each planetary sphere. So back to that cosmology, and I know I'm going to, I just had a bunch of coffee. Hey, good. Mazel tov. <laughs> I'm the, drinking some uh, whiskey. Oh, there you go. So so having that terrestrial sphere, and then, of course, we know in, in the Aristotelian physics and in the Ptolemaic model that there's a terrestrial sphere of the elements. Right. It's the sublunary sphere because it's below the moon. Below the moon. Right. That's where we are at. Right. Exactly. And then there is then there are the seven classical planets in their order from the moon up to Saturn. Right. So so that is to say the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, because this is geocentric. Gotcha. Um, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So those are the seven heavens, the mm-hmm. seven heavens, the seven planetary concentric spheres around the sphere of the elements, which is Earth or yeah. Malkuth, if you prefer the Kabbalistic term. Right. 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 So 
So you get these seven spheres on top of it, and each of those extraterrestrial spheres, because they are, by definition, extraterrestrial spheres, is associated with a certain planetary demon or a planetary familiar. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to Porphyry and Plotinus and Iamblichus, and certainly all the way back to to Plato. Of course. So, um, So it's funny that that just all kind of rushed in. I was like, everything from Plato and the Neoplatonists and their astrological demonic work in the classic sense, all the way through the Goetia, you know, the Mm -hmm. Solomonic magic and the grim, the late grimoire tradition, all the way into like the, you know, 18th century, deep into the 18th. Ceremonial type magic. It kind of evolved into that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And into the golden dawn and things where we're working with theurgical sort of planetary entities and extraterrestrial entities. Right. And even into the early 20th century where you get, um, you know, Iwas and Lam, you know, Crowley working with these um, sort of hierarchical, uh, you know, archetypes hold, kind of hold, in, in a way. Yeah. Holy guardian angels that are. Right. And, and look at how much I'm sure you've talked about how much Lam looks like a gray uh, alien. A gray alien. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is to say, to wrap that up in a couple of sentences, that we have this, you know, essentially 2500 year history that we know of mm-hmm. and certainly preceding that in in egypt and and mesopotamia right but a notable history of theurgy that is to say working from the terrestrial sphere to make relationships and to invoke extraterrestrial intelligence intelligences Right. And it's worked because if it didn't, there wouldn't be 2,500 years <laughs> of it yeah. happening, right? It would, it would be, somebody would have been like, okay, that doesn't, you know, we're going to go back to farming or, you know what I mean? Like there, there had yeah. to have been something to it. And there is because it, it, the traditions carry on. And, you know, I think for masonry, you know, is where I got my start. And then, you know, was invited to SRICF. And that's kind of mm-hmm. where I, I met my homies, like where I met you guys, right? Where I kind of, you know, my ilk, that's where I kind yeah. of fell in, you know, and, and started getting into this. Um, you know, in in uh, you know your book with magic and masonry, perfect man. I mean that that's a book that anybody can pick up a mason, non mason, and just get a good feel for western western esotericism the way that you lay it out, and it, in in regards to how it ties to masonry as well, because you do a fantastic job of that. But to me, I've never seen a body of work like you've done to put it all together in a way that makes sense and it's easy for people to just understand. You know, like if I feel like if you look at any of these entities, if you look at tarot, if you look at um, any, any of the, the, you know, even, even just the, the hermetic part of anything and, you know, masonry or whatever, you don't necessarily draw the lines to those at all. And even, and even people in masonry don't do that as well. I mean, it takes a, it takes a, a special, you know, mindset to step back and go, wait a minute, this kind of, you know, this kind of spurs on this and it kind of draws into all these conclusions. And I think you did a really good job in the, in that book as well to just kind of tie that all together. And, and, you know, for me, I always saw those lines and I think you said this before too, maybe in another podcast or maybe just you and I talking, but it's like you, when you joined Blue Lodge, you're like, this is cool, but there's these nuggets of stuff that I can pull on. And I think that's kind of what you did. I'm not trying to speak for you, but is that kind of it? Like you were like, wow, this is rad. And let me just dig into it. And you kind of tied it into everything, right? Well, certainly. Yeah. Making connections and things like that. Just trying to, it's, you know, it's that comparative, like juxtaposing of ideas and that sort of method 
is uh, helps me to understand things. It's an it's a sort of the method of analogy, right? You know, and and when I when I square up uh, tarot and astrology, for example, and just kind of like when I look at the work of the Blue Lodge and try and recontextualize it from some other idiomatic perspective, you know, it kind of like it opens up different doors. It's just, I'm not saying now here's my disclaimer about my methodology Yeah, is I'm not saying that there is tarot symbolism in situ in the blue lodge right. at, at all. Right. I am saying that there is blue lodge symbolism in the rider weight tarot. Of course. I'll say it definitely goes that direction. Of course. But, but the work of the, um, the work of the blue lodge, you know, Yes, you can. You could look at it from the perspective of your 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 typical taroic kind of work, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and from that symbol set and from that symbolic alphabet, you could see certain things in the right. blue lodge from that perspective. I'm not saying that they are objectively baked into the blue lodge. Of course, I'm so careful to never make claims like that, <laughs> um, and I've never done it. Never made a claim like that without qualifying it. Oh, no. Know? Yeah. 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 And I'm sorry if I phrased it that way, but no, I, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw, I see, you can see that, that everybody that created the tarot had their hands in tarot were Masons. Mm-hmm. At every single crucial developmental point in the evolution of the tarot, a Freemason was there. And we know that from the, the 18th century with um, Le Monde Primitif, mm-hmm. Anton Court de Jebelin and the Comte de Malay. Both of them were Freemasons, and the Comte de Malay was the first one before Eliphas Levy who attributed the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet to the major arcana of right. the tarot. A Freemason right. did that. And then a Freemason put them in the Le Monde Primitif, and his his thesis, Court de Jebelin, his thesis was that the tarot represented um, the collected wisdom of the Library of Alexandria. Which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, which is, the, you know, a, a condensation or a reduction of that. And then and then after them was uh, Eliphas Levy, who did a tremendous amount of taroic and magical work. And he was an, an apprentice Freemason. He didn't go further than an, an apprentice. Which I find amazing because, I mean, if you read his work, it's kind of like, why? I mean, what stopped him? I mean, I don't know if you ever talked about that or I don't know if you can infer any of that. But it just it seems like... what. I'm not sure. It just seems like one of those things where it's like you got that far. Why don't you keep going? But exactly. And look how much Eliphas Levy ends up in morals and dogma. A lot. A lot. Morals and dogma contains a lot, large chunks of cribbed Eliphas Levy. So, so then after Eliphas Levy, we've got Kenneth McKenzie, Mm -hmm. who was the who in the the late um, 19th century. Well, he he actually met Levy in Paris. And then he went, yeah, they had a a meeting and then he came back and he was working on his tarot stuff. Mm -hmm. He was SRIA, right? He was also the, um, sat Baha'i and the, the circle of eight, I think was what they called themselves with Hockley was in it and Yarker and people like that. That's OTO, right? That's kind of where, no, 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 no. That's, um, what was the, you're talking Royce and, uh, Oh Yeah. Theodore Royce. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I got him. Yeah. Sorry. Get pre, pre Crowley OTO. Not yeah, yeah. OT, not like McMurtry OTO like we have now. 
Which is a, which I want to talk about too, and we, I mean we'll get back to that. But yeah, sorry. I mean to get so, to give everybody the tarot history. I mean this is great stuff. Jim. Yeah, it weaves right weaves right through there, and then it goes into um, uh, you know, of course you got people like uh, William Wynn Westcott, Samuel Little McGregor Mathers, who were both SRIA and they were both founders of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn right. in 1887, 1888. They had very developed tarot work mm-hmm. and, and really finalized a lot of our correspondences, thanks to Kenneth McKenzie and the cipher manuscript that they found. So there's Freemasons at every point. And then into the 20th century, you get, um, of course, uh, Crowley, who was actually he he was irregular at the time. But I think that there was some there's a question about his regularity as a Freemason. Yeah, there still is. I mean, I've heard, I've heard many stories that he was not regular, or he bestowed the the degrees upon himself, or something like that. I can't remember. I've, no, I've he was made. Sides. He was made in a lodge, but the the question is, was that lodge clandestine or not? So, gotcha. I'm not trying to make that argument. Who right. who cares? Right. I mean, essentially. But let's right. put Crowley in the mix mm-hmm. um, with his Thoth deck, mm-hmm. and then of course. Um, uh, Paul Foster Case with Boda and all their tremendous amount of, of tarot work. Right. Manly P. Hall and Augustus Knapp made their a tarot deck. I mean, every place you look, there's, there's, a, there's a Freemason <laughs> there at, at every developmental or evolutionary point in, the, in occult tarot. Right. There was every single time was a Freemason there. And I was telling that to Ted Korn yeah. because, because Ted Korn, when we were there Saturday night up in, um, up in, uh, in Michigan yeah, yeah. at, at Doug's, yeah. Ted, Ted Korn said, um, why the tarot? Why are we even <laughs> messing around with that? And I understand. I, you get, know, that. He, I get it too. He's like, why do, why do we even need to, it's not in the blue lodge. And I was like, I totally agree, but right. I will say this, that, and I told him just like I just said at every single point, in the development of the tarot, a Freemason was there. It's a body of symbols. Mm-hmm. What do we do as Freemasons? You know? <laughs> That's our bread and butter, right? <laughs> yeah. Why would it not like attract our attention and our interest and our curiosity? And the, you know, why would it not sort of dig up these mysteries? Why would it not evoke the mysteries through this symbolic language that's so intriguing and so magical and so widely applicable to myth? and magic and masonry like my book and astrology and things like this you know alchemy these different images it's just a fascinating it's it's, and it wouldn't have lasted as long that's the other thing like the same thing we were talking about it wouldn't have survived through all these ages right at some point i would have just been like uh you know this is nonsense right some sort of fortune telling curio right yeah a divinatory thing for gypsies yeah. And you know, what's bizarre. I mean, so like, I'm not as there's no way I'm an adept at, at, at tarot, not, you know, and Rob, another brother, Rob, you know, Robbie Franks got me into it. it. Yeah. And, you know, Jeff, our other brother, you know, got me into it. And, and, um, Kevin and, you know, we got into it and, you know, everybody has their own style and whatever, you know, Robbie has his own style too. And I kind of cribbed Robbie style where, you know, I don't know, you know, the, the proper, the proper way to read it, you know, he's intuitive. Way. Yeah, he's kind of intuitive, and he kind of just kind of taught me along that lines too. And, and basically, he was just like, "Think about what you want to think about. Don't think about the future. Don't think about trying to predict something. Just think about something that's emotional to you. And just think about that and hold it, 
and he just like hands me this deck and I just pull a card and I'm like, holy yeah. shit, that's it. And then that's the way I've done it for, you know, like friends and, you know, family and stuff like that. And most of the time it's just this one card. Yeah. And, and then I just read, you know, the interpretation from a couple different sites, you know, from Biddy yeah. and from the actual, you know, Rider weight, you know, the, the manual. and The then little white book. The little white book. And then most of the time the people are just like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just that one, just that one card. And I'm like, listen. This is you connecting to that. It's not me doing anything. I am just like the, you know, the phone that you pick up or, or you know, the receiver from the speaker, uh -huh. for, you know, from the, the radio. I'm just helping you, tune, you know, you tune into whatever you need to. I'm just going to try to, you know, be the vehicle for you. And most people are like, cool, you know. And I've seen people just get upset because they, it brings out stuff in them that, you know, that uh. hits home so hard for them. And it's just this one thing. And I'm like... You know, even if they just look at the photo without even giving the description. Sometimes people just look at the symbology on that card and go, "Oh," <laughs> as as they should do before we describe it to them. I think you know, give give them a chance to to have the immediacy of a an in, a, a relationship with the symbols before we intellectualize them or, or before we over theorize them. I think that's a very like Jungian approach in that you get like. Um, like that intuitive synchronistic approach yeah. where you just you're drawing a card at random but but synchronicities are described as uh meaningful coincidences right you know? right so if if we're pulling a random card it has that elements of that element of chance it has that opportunity to be synchronistic it has the especially if we have some sort of thought in mind and then there's this there's this randomized sort of bridge mm -hmm. and then there's this image before us that sort of is somehow we have to somehow make sense out of that symbolically. Right. And you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. I've documented this and I couldn't believe it either, but you know, my daughter's three, you know, I'm screwing around shuffling the deck I'm like here, hand her a deck, just fan it out. Right. She pulls a card. I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. Shuffle it up. She's pulled the same card three times mm. out of a shuffled deck. And like, so I text all the guys and they're like, well, that's a one, you know, somebody did the math and it's like, it's a one and like, yeah. you know, and, and you know, she's not old, you know, you can't tell her to try to think about whatever. She's right. just pulling a card out of the deck, you know? And I'm like, how, you, you, this kid, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just, it's amazing how, you know, I couldn't do that again. You know, I've tried, you know, there's no way. And so it's amazing how whatever that is, is, is a thing, you know? And, it's funny how, um, it's funny how you know because there is this element of uh occultism and mystery capital m and mm -hmm. esotericism around the tarot because of masonic involvement frankly right that's where occult tarot comes from our you know the freemasons sort of intrusion and guiding of the lineage of the tarot you know at least since the 18th century like we were talking about so bringing it back to you know in the family environment you know mm -hmm. having a kid and you know and my wife like you know because of me getting into tarot like she ends up getting like the crow tarot or like you know animal tarot or these <laughs> novelty tarot where i'm whereas i'm pretty purist i'm like a tarot de marseille guy right you're just and that's done. yeah that's all i really touch anymore i mm -hmm. i did rider weight for like 10 years and then 
I finally was just like, you know what? I got to go to these stark, really strong woodcutty type of images because like the source images, pretty much like the, the, the root. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It just was speaking to me and in, at a, at a more deep level. And I was getting more out of it without weights interpretations, like, you know, obscuring things, you know, that's yeah. just me. I'm not yeah, yeah. critiquing Rider weight. It was a great deck for a long time for me anyway, but, around the families and this this sort of this sort of patina of occultism around tarot a lot of people would be you know it's a pretty puritanical attitude but a lot of people would be like what are you bringing your daughter around a bunch of occulty stuff for <laughs> yeah it's but like, yeah, no you're right they're, they're a deck of cards <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Beelzebub's not going to jump out of the closet now that I pulled a pack right. of cards out, right? right. I mean, everybody gets that twisted thing. But, you know, we were talking about this maybe before we start recording, maybe when we start recording. But, you know, everybody has this interpretation that, you know, that I've been doing this podcast. And, and you know, it's basically it's UFOs on the level, right? So I'm talking about but my whole goal with, uh, behind this is like I've been in, I've really been excited about this basically my whole life. You know, I've been trying to study it. And, you know, when I got into masonry and I started drawing connections as well, and I really wanted to be able to find other brothers that were into it as just like me. So I could talk to people on the, you know, not only just, but, but I was really interested in masons and how their interpretations were, you know, with the whole thing and, and their connections. And, you know, I've met some great brothers out there, you know, I've met some other people that aren't, you know, in any of our, our um, degrees or, you know, our, uh, um, societies and sure. um but um yeah i think everybody has a, a little bit to add to it and i've um yeah but i but i get that all the time like oh you're a mason you know you guys are devil worshipers you're the illuminati and all this stuff and it's like no you know i mean wh what i did is when my podcast um on youtube after you have to get um, so many views and so many subscribers or whatever you get monetization and i still don't even know how much that is like it just happened last month or whatever but what i've decided to do is i'm donating every cent I get to Shrine Hospital for Children. I'm just going to, mm -hmm. like everything, I'm just giving it to them. Because I'm doing this just for fun. This is just what I enjoy. And it's just, you know, yeah. like a hobby for me. So and I, I don't care, you know, like, and those kids need the help. And, you know, I'm giving it to it. Like Shrine is, is a perfect example of that. That just, you know, philanthropy is just amazing. So, yeah, you know, everybody gets gets it real twisted. But, you know, but I get into some weird stuff. And it's not, it's just me. It's not, you know, the Masonic thing. It's not the SRICF stuff. It's not you know, anything else. I mean, it's just kind of what I've always been passionate about. So, um, you know, uh, meeting you was awesome, man, because some of the stuff that you're into just blows my mind. And, and some of the stuff that you've had working relationships with in, in your practices are kind of analogous to what I've been kind of searching for in, in regards to, the, to this uh, non-localized off-world intelligence. You know? Yeah. And that people have described that throughout history throughout time immemorial it's either god or it's a you know deity you know whatever right but it's it's always happening it continues to happen to this day and there's magical practices and ceremonies and things like that that people still continually do to invoke these things mm -hmm. and there's real and, world effects yeah and did and i know we were you know i'm not gonna uh front you off about this but i know we were talking about uh entheogens at one point too right now, i don't mind talking about it myself personally Yes, I've done um, dimethyltryptamine. I've made it before from acacia in my kitchen. That, you know, that, that's amazing. So the sprig of acacia holds a big place in Masonic lore. And when I found that out, I was like, "Holy shit! That's a yeah. whole different dynamic to that whole entire degree and what that's part of." 
yeah. you know, without revealing any secrets, but that's a big deal, right? And when we're talking about that, we're talking about precisely P.D. Newman's thesis, right. the, his Acacia thesis. So yeah. he gets, he discovered that from basically nobody had seen that. And then all of a sudden P.D. Newman comes out with this mind blower and I was reading his early articles online and, you know, uh, on Reality Sandwich and on Disinfo and things like that. Yeah. And his first book I read. And Alchemically before I Stoned had, is his first book, right? Was that Alchemically first book? Stoned, yeah. Great so, book, yeah. So before I, I had even talked to him, I had, I had looked up how to, you know, various texts, they call mm-hmm. them online, to make the tea. Yeah. So I I ordered the component parts, the MAOI, the premium materia, right. a reasonably simple alchemical operation takes about two weeks. I made it in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an extraction method and things like that. Nothing, no unusual gear mm-hmm. or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then I um, ritualized the taking of it. Right. And uh, I had entity contact the first time that's you know and it was again i'll tell you know i don't feel like i'm profaning the experience by saying uh by saying that there was a a fractal sort of orange mosque that i was standing in front of and then over my right shoulder i could tell that there was some sort of being there Mm-hmm. And um, was it a comfortable this, feeling this, or like a like a um, ominous feeling or was it, it was like, ominous? Okay, it was, so it was a little of, ominous. Okay, and um, and then and then it kind of turned the corner out of my you know peripheral vision, and it was like an Anubis jackal man. It was like a canine guide with like a yeah. staff, like the staff and everything like that. I don't remember a staff, but I remember it was an Anubis. Wow. Yeah. So that that and then I had entity contact a couple other times later. Now I'm not saying this is euphoric. I'm not saying it's pleasurable. I'm not saying it's something that I, I don't see how anybody could get like hooked on that and use it for euphoric kind of to get away because it's the, precisely the opposite of getting away. It's like getting in too much. Like it's it's like it's intense. You're like basically in the fetal position, kind of crawled up at some point, right? I mean, it's kind of like. Yeah, it's intense, not pleasurable, but it is valuable. So I've done it less than 10 times, and this was some years ago now. Right, right. You know, right. and I, I, in fact, dread it. I, I, I'm fine if I never do it again, but I will say that there was uh, there was entity um, contact several times. Was there, was there and, any communicate? Was there any message or communication that they that you with, with like the overall arching theme or message? Not that first time, but but another time. And let me bring this into the context of your show. Yeah. Um, this is like uh, when we're talking about that experience, um, we're not necessarily talking about some inner subjective experience because there's some objectivity to it. Of course many people will report similar images right there's know? a big thing about the machine elves that was one yeah. of the things that were the machine you know, elves and the mantoid things with eyes i've seen some of them before like the man yeah yeah mm-hmm. and and a lot of common uh images that would imply that uh there is a it basically supports jung's idea of the collective unconscious in some ways right of course so so non-local intelligence you know mm-hmm. uh, like like we're talking about with um you know an alien in the alien intelligence right you know? and um 
So, so yeah, and I did get an equation from, I, I met these Ethiopians from somehow I knew just like in dream logic, you know, certain things. I knew that they were from the year 4049. Wow. And I was in CE 4049, like 2000 something years from now. So now like AL <laughs> no. and like CE. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 They were from the future by yeah. a couple millennia. Right. And, um, and they gave me this square root equation that had something. And I wrote it down after the thing. And I still have the index card that I wrote it on. Wow. I don't know what it is. I haven't really unpacked it wow. yet. Um, th and they introduced me to those mantoid Mayan sort of mantoid features who had a, or creatures rather or entities that had a central vertical mouth Ooh. in the middle of their face. They had this vertical mouth. And then around it, there were just rows of eyes, black, uh, black, like almond eyes, you know, like, like mantoid eyes. And, and the first, the male one came up to me and he was like, and I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. And then, and then the, he had me talk to the matriarch and she came up and was buzzing like that too. in some sort of mechanistic kind of insect language. Right. And I was like, I laughed a little bit because it wasn't like <laughs> you're like I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> I was like, I, am, I was like, I am so sorry. I can't. I was, I was like, I'm so sorry. I can't understand what you're trying to say to me. Yeah. And, and then that ended. That was the last time I had any entity contact, and that was probably three years ago. Wow, that's amazing, man. They just so were they bipedal? Were they like like us? Yeah. Arms, yeah. legs, like two arms, two legs, kind of. These ones were, yeah, yeah, uh huh. Like clothing, any of that? Like it just, yeah. It was weird because the two Mayan ones had like ponchos on. Oh, yeah, like clothing, like right. ponchos. Whereas the Ethiopians, they were just like they looked like. You ever see the um, the Miles Davis record "Bitches Brew"? Yeah, yeah. They looked like the like they should be on the cover of <laughs> "Bitches Brew" by Miles Davis. <laughs> That's rad. That's what they looked like. <laughs> That's cool. And they were speaking English to you though, right? They were they were they were speaking? They were that was more of a telepathic thing. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. They were just But boom. yeah, yeah. But there wasn't any like like they weren't telling you you need to know this. They, uh -huh. look, they was just kind of like, "Hey, what, they transmitted on? that equation somehow or I I in fact sort of intuited it from the I was in their transportation hub. Oh. There was like there was like how they move around and stuff. And the the impression I got was that that equation had something to do with how they move around. That's awesome. We need to get that out. Somebody's going to unpack that for us and we could probably like make that happen. Imagine if somebody who knew what they were looking at um, kind of uh, worked out or engineered that that equation. And then they were like, holy shit, That's this, that is. this is actually, you know, uh, gravitational sort of stuff or something i'm not sure oh it's amazing there's a there's a there's a um dr diana Posolka has a book out called um oh god my brain just stopped uh it's it'll come to me in a minute but anyways um she's a uh, uh um the head of it's south carolina religious studies for mm -hmm. i can't remember the college there now and she had a she has a book that's out that's basically talking about all this stuff and um, uh, people are gonna jump up and down and kill me if I don't if I if I don't Google it. But anyway, I'll well, Google edit it. it in later. Yeah, I'll edit it in. But anyways, this book she's um, 
she's uh, talking to these people, and there's this guy that she's talking to, and, and they they use you know fake names for this guy, but um, he's basically an ass employee. He's at the highest levels of government. You know, he's worked there. He's got clearances for everything. There's agencies we don't even know about. Um, mm-hmm. At one point, they go to the Vatican. They go to the secret archives with him. All this stuff, but. His whole entire thing is that he communicates with off-world intelligences all the time, and he has a protocol to do it. And what he does is he gets these ideas, and most of them are for medical patents and things like that, and for devices, for surgeries, and you know, medical patents. And he's like a millionaire because of it. Like these things come to him, and he and he actually like makes them happen. But he communicates with this off-world intelligence, and they're giving him like the most amazing stuff. I mean, they take huh. they, they take her out to the, they blindfold her and take her out to the middle of the desert where they know there's this crash that happened in the, you know, uh, pre Roswell in the forties. They call it the gifting field and they have special, huh. they have special, um, uh, pre Roswell. So pre- what was that? 47, right? Yeah. Pre, yeah. 47. There's, you know, there's some crashes that happened, you know, 45, 46. It was, there's a book Jacques Vallée just came out with called Trinity that happened. It was, it happened like two weeks after the Trinity, the first test of the bomb, um, out, out in, um, out in the desert. So there was a crash there and uh-huh. you know, there in was, New Mexico, in New Mexico, there's a giant, giant field of all kinds of, of things that happened in that ring there where we were testing the new, uh, you know, the first nuclear bombs and they pick up these uh-huh. articles. They call it the gifting field because there's just cr- pieces of a, oh, a craft yeah. out there all the time. And, you know, she didn't huh. believe any of this shit going into it. Right. Until she, she's actually experienced it. It was, it's a really good book. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, when you get into that whole thing, it's just kind of like, you know, this guy is doing this, you know, he like, he doesn't drink coffee. He doesn't, you know, he does all, he does all these things. Right. And he basically is communing, communicating with his off world intelligence. That's giving him all these patents and ideas and like formulas and all of this shit. And he's actually making it into real world stuff where it's making him rich. Huh. So that formula could be, that could be it, man. <laughs> yeah, could be my key to uh, um, retirement. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I mean, but, it's, uh, it's completely doable. I mean, all of these things that are out there, and it's just how do you tie it all together? You know, and I think you're doing you're doing the work. I mean, you're tying all of these. I wouldn't say des- you know disparate things together, but the way that you uh, the way you just figure things out and go this is this and this makes sense, and then you go deep and figure out how it all you know comes comes together. Um, it's just amazing, man. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of uh, connections to be made, and when we make those connections, I mean, here's the thing: is what I hope to get across in my methodology is that and uh, my approach to specifically Masonic research, but also the broader, you know, just researching Western esoterica and occultism and stuff is that, um, is that, well, Freemasonry is, is a living, evolving tradition, right? Mm -hmm. It's so I don't look at it like it's just, Oh, okay. We're going to just freeze frame 1723 when we get the Hiramic tragedy And now that we have these three degrees in 1723 or whenever it was, right, um, you know, let's just stop it right there. And we know what Freemasonry is and we, we will, you know, I think I think we need to respect the tradition right. and respect the lineage and respect the history. But I don't think it's a closed book. I don't think it's. You know, I think there is further light. Why would we even talk about further light if if 
if all the light was already bestowed, right? <laughs> right. American um, Cosmic. It, that's the name of the book. It just came back. American Cosmic is the American name of the book. Cosmic. Yeah, Diana Pasolka. She's uh, yeah, the theology. She's a uh, she's the chair of theology. I think at um, South some some uni- big university in South Carolina. Sorry, it just came. Hey, back. Well, what do you think about? Um, you know, what's kind of interesting to me is uh, I'm not like an ascended masters guy. I, I'm not a I'm not into Blavatskyan theosophy. Right. I do like german theosophy like Jakob Bema and people like that like classic you know german theosophy is you know christian theosophy is pretty cool yeah, but um yeah but blavatsky's sort of east-west synthesis of theosophy and and her ascended master doctrine that she of course gets from you know various hindu sources i guess in tibetan okay. as well she got a lot of the stuff from tibet as well exactly yeah. tibet as well so while i'm not a an ascended master um proponent mm-hmm. i am interested in like pleiadian light pleiadian intelligence or the high 80s or these very because i am an astrologer right. I'm deeply interested in astrology so i wonder and the reason why I bring up the Pleiades in the context of ascended master doctrine yeah. is because they're they're a lot of the times conflated, right? Mm-hmm. And they're and they're in the they're when they are conflated, they're usually put in the context of ufology. Of course there is, because there's so many different contact experiences people have had throughout the years that have been like, Yeah, we come from the Pleiades, you know, Billy Meyer was the biggest one, I think that kind mm-hmm. of pushed all that, you know, then the modern times anyway was these are plagiarin, I think he called them, you know, the resentities are Nordic looking tall, blonde, you know, beautiful, right. you know, men and women that are from this system. And they've came here to teach us all these things and, you know, help humanity evolve and all. And, but yeah, the, the, um, you go back to the the Hindu text, and then even farther than that, when you get into the Tibetans, and then you and I were talking about this a little bit. And I'm not a master of this at all, or you know, know everything. But like the Vril um, society from you know um, you know pre World War II, and then you know Germany, and then Germany uh-huh. as well, and that's all directly related to you know the Bl- the Blavatsky. Thule? Thule? yeah, T H U L E society, yeah, right. So that's. You know, they they claimed um, they were in contact, and it was through the Tibetans as well. And it always kind of yeah. goes back to Tibet. You know, when you get that high, I, for me, I'm just thinking, you know, the higher elevation. <laughs> I don't know the Himalayas. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like maybe they're closer to whatever that's going on, or you know, maybe they have a better way of hiding it, or you know, keeping those traditions, you know, yeah. bound. But you know, they were they were same thing. They were claiming they were having um, conversations with off world intelligence as well through the Thule Society and all that, and that was like basically subjugated by the Nazis and taken into, and that kind of created their whole SS and their whole, you know, that where that occultism kind of took over, you know, World War II, where, you know, they were doing all those, they were doing seances, they were doing all these things. They were yeah. trying to gain information. And some people theorize that they did, that they did get information from these off-world entities that kind of gave them, you know, plans for anti-gravitics and, you know, uh, things like that for, you know, basically discs, right? Flying, flying yeah. discs and things like that. And that's, there's a lot of research and pe- people spend a lot of time getting into that and, and kind of drawing some really strong conclusions, at least from the fact that if it was real or not, the Nazis believed it and, and they used it and they integrated it into their, you know, upper echelon of hierarchy in their, 
world domination plans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it ties to the Aryan race and, you know, and all that other stuff that they did where they're, where, you know, they just basically latched onto that part too. And then, you well, know, bring in Blavatsky back in. She talked about the, the, uh, Aryan race as well being sort of, um, really sort of, I think they're like basically proto Indo-European, right? They're, they're Indo-Aryan. Right. Um, so not, I don't know if she's meant it in the same context as they did in the Third Reich about how um, the dominant the, race and the master race and all that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or or blonde hair, blue eyes, or anything like that. I think she envisioned them more like uh, Indo-Aryan. Um, I could be wrong. I don't know a whole lot about it, but uh, yeah. It, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a slippery slope because everybody nobody likes to get into any of the Nazism and you know the Aryans and the, you know the mass race and that just gets into well it's no it's it's yes it's a tab I mean still for some reason again speaking to that Puritanism it's a taboo subject but the longer it's a taboo subject that nobody wants to talk about it the the harder it is to access and just be like hey we're adults here <laughs> right. uh, you know like like let's just you know, so there's a couple of things about it, right? Right. Their, their interest in occultism, I thought, was pretty prescient, you know, because now it's like, now we actually do have neo-pagan groups and things <laughs> like that. We do. You know, yeah. whereas at that time, they were reconstructing their mythos. Right. You know, they were kind of putting putting the pieces. And yes, there was ethno-nationalism involved in that. Right. Never a great thing. You know, but but still, any reason to get your mythology back together and to reconstruct of 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 sort of feeling with your, you know, they would say the fatherland, right? Right, 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 right. So your ethnocentric um, roots of your own uh, mythology, right, it's, yeah, right. It's, yeah. It, it's holistic mm -hmm. to do that. Right. We don't we don't um, demonize the Native Americans for being into the the Great Spirit here right. in their land, you know what I mean? And having a connection with the land where they live and from whence they sprang. Right. You know, why would we, why would we demonize uh, any culture for having um, a, a deep connection with their cultural mythological sort of paradigm? You know, so I'm not, I don't have a beef with any of that. Of course they had a, you know, we all know they're bad ideas. We, <laughs> we know what the Nazis set of bad ideas were. Yeah. And, and nobody's ever contesting that. I, I don't, Agreed. I don't know of anybody who's contested that, but what we can talk about is where did they get this super cool, um, technology? What prompted them to get their cultural mythical kind of thing together again which was a great move i think right. that's cool right and and how did they get the most bitchin outfits out of <laughs> and and gear and regalia and like stuff mm -hmm. their their regalia and their their sculptures and their the their symbology is so rich it's strong isn't it? yeah it's real strong i mean all of it is it's just like and it, it's profound, you know. When you think of it in terms of symbology and just the visual symbology, we take it back to what we were talking about earlier. When you just mm -hmm. look, at, just look at this tarot card. I don't, I'm not going to tell you anything, but just look at it. You know, what does that mean? I mean, like, yeah, there's a skull and crossbones on the top. Of this, you know, the SS is a, it's a like, death's head. It, yeah, it's like yeah. that's that's, that's saying cops. a lot without saying anything. You know? <laughs> yeah, and their use of rune runic characters, right? I you mean, know, 
and and the swastika itself. The swastika the sw- itself has bastard, been bastardized into a uh, yes, it, from in my two cents, it took sure. something that was amazingly positive and inspirational, and like I would say a token close to enlightenment, uh-huh. and turned that thing and made it the most evil symbol recognizable. And we're still kind of recoiling from that, which is a shame because if you look at the literally millennia of the swastika being a preliterate sort of it, sort of a pole star symbol, it is. Uh, it's like the Ursa Major going around the pole star. That's a great way to yeah um, yeah. I and it's and it's it's been carved into stone on I think every continent over yeah. the it, from prehistory, mm-hmm. like a preliterate symbol of. Uh, essentially axial procession in some sense, right? Right. And um, an ancient, ancient symbol, and then its use in um, Jainism and its use in Eastern Buddhism, sort of thing. All, like everything, right? And then its use in the Americas, every continent, mm-hmm. you know, this this symbol has appeared. And now all of a sudden in the little piddly 20th century, about two decades in there, there's some misuse of this symbol, and now it's like verboten. Pardon the pun. No, but yeah, but seriously, I mean, it is. Uh, you're right. I mean, and yeah. is that is that was there a, a divine plan for that? Was there not? I mean, who knows? Who, who I mean, but it's it's amazing to look at it that way. It's a striking, say. powerful symbol. It is. You know, in, I mean, in either I, regard, in either regard, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But somebody's bastardized True. it. In my mind, somebody's taken a powerful symbol and made everybody's initial gut reaction to be that that's evil and that's bad. Yeah. Whereas before that, it never ever was. Right. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. You got to wonder, like, and and the the Nazis' appropriation of that symbol, um, no accident. You no, know? no. Nobody just said, "Hey, this is cool. Let's make that our thing." Yeah. <laughs> so there was some yeah. real thought, or maybe uh, off-world yeah. intelligence. Somebody directed yeah. them, you know, into that whole thing. Um, yeah, uh, no, it's it, it's really cool. And and you brought up a good point, you know. And and I have not delved at all, like one iota, as much as you have in, in uh, astrology at all, like at all. But I see. You know, just from reading your work and everything like that, how much everything that's above us influences us here on a on a daily basis. You know, yeah. And you know, and once I started, you know, getting into your work and things like that, and you know, when I saw you read, you know, charts for twenty twenty, yeah, it was amazing. And if you, I would love for you to talk to me about that for just one second. Like I, I think it was pre twenty twenty, and you were like went through like almost every month or you know a couple month period, and you were like, this is kind of how it goes, and you just. <laughs> like everything and it's like right there right i mean well yeah. the culmination of the year which i think what was it? there was a saturn pluto pluto square i think there was yeah. some some uh really really gnarly uh aspect with saturn and pluto early on in the year i forget now that's what it was point. oh yeah yeah but then the conjunction was the but like then the- Exactly. So the conjunction, what was strange about that, what was, uh, this happens every 20 years. We'll get a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, a great conjunction. But this one was different for a few reasons, Mm -hmm. because we were passing into air signs. So we passed into Aquarius. It happened on the first degree of Aquarius, and it happened on the uh the day within, I want to say within two and a half hours of the exact winter solstice wow the the 
the apartile winter winter solstice with a partile conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn on the zero degree in the first degree of, uh, of Aquarius passing for the first time. in I want to say four or 600 years or something like that into an air sign. So we've, tr- we've moved a trigon, what they call a trigon. So there's great conjunctions happen in a, in an elemental triplicity for about four or 600 years. I forget. Right. But they, they happen in a certain elemental triplicity and then they, then over that period of time, they move into another one. Generally, there's some wiggle room. Mm-hmm. But um, we moved into air signs. Now, this is what's strange as well. Nobody's ever clearly marked um, our passage into the Aquarian age, right? right. And I think a lot of people, um, due to the, how literal the astrology of 2020 was, yeah, I mean, it was mirrored micro-macro. It was like a mirror. The sky was on the earth and they were projecting and in this relationship. And it was, it it was was, as above, so below. Exactly. It was like the most astrologically hermetic year. Um, Like even, even squares in the regular, just general public were, I mean, so many people got into astrology in 2020. I'm sure for sure. It's so popular now anyway, but, uh, but, but the Aquarian age, I'm thinking, you know, for my money, that's kind of our cusp. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say um, uh, 12, 21, 20, when, when, the, when the great conjunction ingressed Ari- or Aquarius uh, on the winter solstice, that's a pretty powerful astrological nodal point, you know, and um I'm, I would call, I would feel comfortable specifically this far on in our Piscian uh, sort of Piscian age symbolism with Christianity over the last two thousand years. The fish, the 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 womb, the yeah, the, whole, yeah, the thing, whole thing, the yeah. Wesica Piscus, the Wesica Piscus, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm pretty sure that uh, I'd feel comfortable saying we have passed into the Aquarian age at this point, which for better or worse, because, because air signs are, are technology, uh, humanitarianism for again, for better or worse. So we're in Aquarius now. Mm-hmm. And is this a good, it does Aquarius. I mean, it could say, uh, transhumanism, you know, yeah. it could mean, you know, tech like AI. That's a very Aquarian concept where we're heading is precisely aquarian if you look at the astrology where we're heading is aquarian age stuff and we've just passed into that cusp so the you know people like elon musk love him or hate him he says the biggest existential threat to mankind at this point ai is ai yeah 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 it's amazing right it's like it's right there. It's right in front of us. And and I I completely agree with you because we're entering, it's almost like, and I hate to say this with COVID, it's like the old axiom is, is dying. Now it's literal. (laughs) I mean, I I I hate to say that, but it's almost like it's the, you know, it's, it's the progression into that. And you're looking at it, you know, we're talking about, you know, AI being sentient, you know, the singularity point where technology religious singularity. I mean, that's, it's probably honest. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably been here for at least 40 years from all of my research and everything that I've known 
mm-hmm. and anecdotally and then through people that have been involved in all this stuff is that everything that comes out like you know this this iPhone this is 40 year old tech this yeah. is for this is 40 years old right Com- yeah. to the military industrial complex they have stuff that's out there that's 40 years more advanced than this right mm-hmm. easy easy all day long right so we've definitely reached that singularity where it's just there's no separation between AI, humanism, you know, I think the last frontier here is consciousness and how that ties into everything. And I think that because we're coming into this new age and because, uh, you know, man is kind of evolving, I honestly believe that we're in a stage of evolvement where we're gaining more use of our conscious, our consciousness in ways that are frightening to some people, but definitely it's terrifying, but other people that are maybe more initiated in the experiences have more control. True. I would say that my, my issue, my, I gotta just say my fear is that uh, we, if, if let's say this, if we're, if we pass into like um, Silicon based life forms, Mm-hmm. as opposed to carbon based but our consciousness is transferred into you know as data points and things like that right. or let's say this i know this sounds crazy and I, i'm just saying it just because and i love yeah. that we have to prep you don't have to preface that <laughs> yeah so so this sounds crazy but let's say this 5g rollout thing mm-hmm. let's just say that we are being harvested as memory banks as as networks Mm-hmm. You know, through let's or again, another crazy thought. Let's say let's say you've taken a vaccine that has certain metals in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and let's say these metals are making it so you have a uh, you can ping off of this network, you know, and let's say that through these metals and through these other introductions of whatever sort of nanotech um, that you're and it sounds like science fiction. Yeah, Maybe but, it is whatever. Yeah, yeah. So let's say that. Let's say that the harvesting and the manipulation of consciousness is being um, laid out in a grid gradually over time to where uh, the human being can become a um, a, a, a meme or, you know, some sort of meme in this data grid, right? Mm-hmm. Just some sort of, you know, this fractal little component, but also a slave to um consciousness meaning that if there are people who you know let's say there's some nefarious entity or agency maybe superhuman maybe preternatural maybe you know extraterrestrial off-world intelligence right right that is all of a sudden colonizing as a as a data center the earth Mm -hmm. you know and then um and then we get immortality, but do we want immortality? I don't want that immortality. <laughs> you know, I want to physically die okay. one day. You know, you can't cheat me out of the experience of death. I mean, it's the it's the other part of life. I mean, it's so right. right, right. I, I don't want to be a forever slave to consciousness. You know, right. I I want my identity to dissolve again. You know, and join some sort of whole or whatever happens yeah yeah. no no i totally get that and i think that's probably 
way so that sounded nuts, right? No, 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 no. I think it's probably way more closer to what a lot of people, you know, feel in in regards to what's going on. Like, there's, I think we're sitting, we're standing on a, pre- a precipice. Yeah. And there's that, scary that, shit going on right and, now. And then people are, you know, they either, there's a lot of people just wavering. There's not, there's not, a, there's a lot of people want to go backwards and a lot of people want to go forward. There's a lot of people just standing on the edge going, I don't know what to do. And they're looking for something. And what I'm afraid of is that whatever this thing is, whether it's, whether it's an ultra terrestrial where, you know, you and I've talked about this, where it's from the earth and it's always been here. It's fairies. It's, 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 um, trolls. It's, you know, the lights in the sky. It's, you know, it's gnomes. It's things like that, that it's the earth, earth entities, earth entities that are all here. They're always been here and they're presenting themselves as, what we collectively unconsciously or, or maybe even consciously now um, expect. So there's advanced craft in the sky. Right. Um, you know, and I think one of my thoughts is, is that if that's what it is and we're collectively creating this, this, these entities in the, in these things that either there's two, there's, you know, we can go, we can go two ways with this. One is that it itself can present itself as a savior or some type of, you know, all powerful, you know, a godlike entity, right? The re- mm-hmm. Or the return of Jesus or something like that, right? But, you know, Muhammad is back, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm here to save everybody's sins and, you know, and it's all for, you know, self good. And the other part of that is, is that governments, like I just said, and this cell phone's 40 years old, um, what if they can somehow manipulate consciousness and or the ability to do that at a global scale and do that themselves for their own ends, where it's, they're going to present the, the coming, you know, the, the, our space brothers, you know, space Jesus, right. He's mm-hmm. going to come back and space Jesus is your guy now. Right. Like he's the yeah. guy and, but do that for their own ends. you know. Yeah. So there's, you know, two or three things, but then like you said, well, maybe it's something completely different where we can't even fathom what's going on with this, you know, global kind of, you know, um, takeover. But I think that like when, we get together like you and I and, and our brothers and things like that. Uh-huh. I think that we have a, uh, a power that's untold. I think we have a power that between all of us and, and our collective unconscious and even our consciousness that we've been lied to about for antiquity, that we, we don't believe that we're the strongest beings in the universe. We don't believe that we are gods right. in our own selves. And yeah. I think that's going to be the, the biggest the biggest like hoodwink ever. It's kind of like we ah. certainly we yeah. certainly have power as individuals, right? We have we can we could essentially vote with our dollars and with our with our attention, right? You know, like for instance, I'm not on. Yes, I have a an author page on Facebook that my sister in law hosts. You know, right. I don't have a Facebook or a Twitter or a Snapchat or a Instagram or any of that stuff because I, I think that they're terrible systems. Right. You know, I think that they're pernicious. I think that they're toxic. I think that they're actively detrimental to the human experience. So I don't like to participate in that. Yes, for publishing reasons, I got to have this author page. Right. Just, it helps, right? Whatever. Yeah. But And that's a slippery slope, and I'm not perfect. Right. So that's the, it's the same thing like with my vegetarianism. I'm not perfect. <laughs> but I, but I try. I yeah. try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's everything in life. You know, there, if, if, if we're a good microcosm, if microcosmically we try to embody our ideals, I feel 
that that's the very best thing that we can do for the macrocosm is try and be, because my sphere kind of ends at my skin almost, you know what I mean? My sphere yeah. of influence. Yeah. I, I can do the best that I can with my time, my attention and, you know, my, my efforts and my ideas and things and just try and do the best. Um, and, and I'm not saying there's a them, I'm not saying there's some boardroom that's some evil cobble of, you know, governmental Satanists who are reptilian beings and they're adrenochrome addicts and they're, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I am saying this, that, you know, the old parable or whatever it is about the, the blind man and the elephant, right. one of them had the tail, one of them had the trunk, one of them had the ears and they all had a piece of the elephant, but they didn't know that it was an elephant. Correct. So here's what I'm saying could be the case that no, while I don't believe in an evil cobble that is like, we want to destroy the world and everybody in it. And we want people to be miserable and we want to exploit them. I'm not saying that there is a group of people who actively say that. Right. What I am saying is that there are people who are participating in that, who don't even know that they're participating in that. You know, I'm saying that they, I'm saying that their egregore through their actions, their egregore together, their collective thought form is that evil, pernicious entity. And they don't even know that they're contributing to it. Right. You know, nobody so, knows that they're, they're bad guy. I always say this, like nobody goes, yeah, we're the bad guys. Like, no, nobody, yeah. nobody ever goes, yeah, we're the bad guys. That doesn't yeah. happen. It, it's yeah, just, we're <laughs> the bad guys. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. They no. think they're the good guys. Yeah. Which is even more fucked up. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure the Klan and the Nazis all thought this is the right thing to do. Yeah, we're the good, we're the good guys. Everybody else is bad. Everybody's going to love us, you know. Right. Oh man, no, that no, that's it, man. Um, so yeah, maybe the, I don't. So I have a hard time when you know we speak in terms of yeah, and you know what they're doing now, as if there is a they. You know, <laughs> there's not a they. Right. No, I mean, I mean, there kind of is, but they don't know they're even the they. You know what I mean? It's, right. Which is probably a blessing and a curse. <laughs> well, true, and that's the that's the extricating yourself and getting some objectivity on what is my what is the reverberation of my actions in the world. So when people are when we participate in sick systems, yep. we're feeding the growth of a sick system, and that six whether it's factory farming. Or whether it's you know any sort of animal cruelty or anything like that, whether it's exploitative to some other culture, some culture of little brown people in somewhere else in the world that we don't care about because we can't see them, you know what I mean? It's the it's the big it's yeah it's it's one type of never ending loop right. that we're that we're all a part of, and and like you said, we can do the one thing, like you could do the one thing, I could do the one thing, and, but collectively we can do these things together. And I think yeah. that I hope that we get to the point where we see that, where we see that together we're more powerful than separate, that we, we, we are powerful, you know, more powerful than anything alone, but together yeah. we're way more powerful, you know, for the good. But of course, like you said, for the bad as well, whether you're yeah. conscious of it or not. But I think that, you know, getting, getting people to like, man, I mean, it's only been a few years that I've just tried to start to meditate, but I mean, you know, like I said, I don't do it well. And, you know, and I, and I try and I'm I, same thing. I fall off the wagon, you know, I can't do it, yeah. but just a little bit to be able to know that you can do that and you can make direct positive changes about yourself mm-hmm. in, in your own, in your own life is massive. And that's in, in the Western culture is completely, you know, it's thrown into the, it's thrown into the likes of tarot. It's thrown into the likes of, you know, other, you know, 
mystical things that we just think are, are bullshit in, in America, right. where I think that, you know, that would be a huge benefit to the majority of the world if we, yeah. if we did something like that. And that's an all inner practice. It's an all, you know, a thing that you can do. So we can get there, man, but it's just going to take some work. And I think that with the conjunction with everything that's going on, I think it's a big, big time for, for things that are happening. And it's kind of, God, like, I hope so. You got to be on your toes, man. <laughs> I hope, you know, and I think, isn't that what we, I mean, it's what we do, what we claim to do in Freemasonry is make good men better. Right. Mm-hmm. So we vet people, good yes. men, you know, we find people who are trustworthy, who we think can be responsible with our secrets and our mysteries. Right. And if they could be responsible with our secrets and mysteries, they may get initiated into our our order, right? right. Our fraternity. Right. So, um, and then and then we proceed to hopefully give them the tools, the working tools, mm-hmm. to um, become better men through the invocation of deity, right. through through the liminal, transformational sort of rites of passage that we that we are the custodians of right. as Freemasonry, this, this suite of transformational degrees that we have, right. you know? Um, and then hopefully through that process, um, you know, then we get light, more light, further light until finally we could see our place in the world. We could see the ripple effect, ripple effect of our actions. We could see how, you know, we can more readily discern what is an unethical pursuit from an ethical pursuit. What is, you know, morally and intellectually kind of um, desirable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, and then try and steer our lives, you know, and consequently those around us into a more um, mutually beneficial kind of uh, direction. And that's amazing. And I think that, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of what America is, you know, in this, I mean, America's founded by Freemasons. It's it. This is the grand yeah. experiment. We did that here. We tried For to sure. do it here. We just, let's make this happen, you know, and it, yeah. so far it's worked, you know. And, and we're the, the, the freest, um, you know, we're the, I think there are many metrics uh, by, by which, you know, we're the most ethnically varied Right. place we're arguably the least racist country on the surface of the planet because if you were to go to an ethno state like japan or korea or kenya mm-hmm. or places like this where it's like, or poland or something where it's like these are ethno states right you know right. america is a melting pot you know everybody lives here and yes there was some iffy business with the native americans when we right but you know i mean and i'm not I'm not downplaying that, right? But right, I mean, right. if we, if we go back, I mean, frankly, conquest is the story of mankind. Mm-hmm. It's been happening since. I mean, it's, for for better or worse, I mean, sometimes you know, I don't yeah. want to dwell on that, but right, right, right. It's it's a sticky situation, and of course, you know, this isn't a civics program, but uh, <laughs> well, we all know what's going. On. Yeah, yeah, but as as a whole, throughout history, we've had the longest period of of um, freedom. Yeah, and by many metrics, uh, these are the best times. Like more people are getting uh, educations, less people are starving. There is less war 
now that I, than I think at any period in the maybe ever in the history of the human story. Right, right. Per right. capita, like less war. Uh, there, I I read several metrics recently that point to they they indicate that this is the most prosperous, highest global uh, uh, GDP or whatever that. Right, right, right. Yeah, and the very best times that we've ever had as a as a species as mankind um, are is actually right now. Yet we find so much to bitch about. <laughs> Isn't <Yeah>. it amazing? <laughs> Yeah, it's the very best times for mo for more people than not, and we um, still bitch about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, jeez. Well, to switch it up just completely. I mean, if you don't mind, I'm going to take it on a on a complete different yeah. switch. I was I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts, and like I said, I read a lot of your stuff, and mm -hmm. um, I picked out one thing that I wrote. I had to write a note down, but it was like you joined. Um, uh, AASR, so it's ancient and accepted Scottish rite of masonry. Is northern? Were you northern, northern and southern, or you did both, or just southern? Both. I did both. I did northern first, and then you went to LA, and I think you went south. I think is what you, I think you, what you said. Yeah, right? and yes. then you then you bounced out, though. I mean, was it something? Uh, I just wanted uh, to ask you why you stopped. Oh, I see. I see. So, yeah, I did Northern Masonic, Masonic jurisdiction mm -hmm. in the Valley of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And then I then we moved to Los Angeles and I did Southern jurisdiction at the Valley of Pasadena. And then I came down to Phoenix and Scottish Rite wasn't really happening down here too much. Makes sense. At that, right. At that time. So I demitted. Mm hmm you know yeah. um on great terms uh, you oh, know yeah. able to come back whenever i want yeah yeah and um you know i just i wanted to focus on blue lodge and i was doing york right at that time and i was getting into the sricf college right. so i just i just you know gently closed the door on that for a minute you know and focusing on these other things um and then about a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, sometime during COVID, mm -hmm. I was doing a presentation. I got called to do a presentation for Valley of D.C., mm -hmm. Supreme Council, one of the bodies in there, right, or Lodge of Perfection, I think. Adam, Adam Goldman called me up. And I was like... Um, I was like, yeah, but the thing is, is I've demitted a f several years ago. Yeah. Um, and he was like, well, let's see what we could do, because I think that's going to be a problem. Oh, right. So, so he went and talked to somebody over there. I forget who mm -hmm. and, and at Valley of D.C. And then he was like, OK, we've got a, a deal for you. Do this presentation and we will we will waive your reinstatement fees, which is like three or 400 bucks. Right, right, right. And he said, and we'll waive your first year's dues. Nice. And you could, and you can be a member of Valley of DC. So I was like, done deal. Let's, yeah, let's go. Let's do, <laughs> let's do that because that's, that's a pretty bitch and dues card to have. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. DC. Valley of DC is like, you know, that's, that's Scottish <laughs> right. As far as I'm concerned. That's awesome. Yeah. No, cool, man. I just, I was just thinking, like I said, it was like probably like a year or so ago or whatever from the podcast you did. And you were like, yeah. So I just kind of wanted to know if it was something that turned you away from it or you just didn't have time or if it was like, you know, there's anything in there that you're yeah, just no, there's, not, not jiving with, you know? No, there's a little dirt in there, but I, I kind of steered clear of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's dirt everywhere. There's yeah. dirt. Speaking of dirt, uh, so reading your stuff, 
mm-hmm. I mean, from in talking OTO, Golden Dawn, Golden Dawn is a you know um, OTO too as well. But the thing that I've noticed, and so from correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know you know way than I more than I do, but OTO pre Crowley was more like an accepted transition past Blue Lodge. It was mm-hmm. like it was like OTO was your your fourth degree, you know, minus York right or whatever else, right? That OTO was like your your next logical step after Blue Lodge, and it was a series of, you know, basically it's um, the continuation. I want to say um, it was almost like a German like AMD or something like that, right? In right. that it was a bunch of like, um, it was a, a collection of rights mm-hmm. into one sort of super appendant body. So you they know, took like they took part of the York right. They took part of the, part of different degrees and kind of jammed it all together. Into exactly, a, a they thing. took some things from Memphis Mitzrayim. They took took some things from uh, some continental sort of Scottish right stuff. Uh, and they took some things that we would recognize as being part of the York right in America, mm-hmm. and they kind of put all these rights together. And I think Royce Theodore Royce was in close contact with both Westcott and um, uh-huh. um, Yarker, Jonathan Yarker. It's John amazing Yarker. how these, all these names keep coming full circle, isn't it? <laughs> right. So these guys these guys were rabid collectors of rights, from what I understand. I'm not a historian. No, but no, but I, it I, seems like they were just kind of getting every, their hands on everything they could, manuscripts and rights oh, and they, everything. Yeah. They loved to, to collect rights, particularly people like Yarker and Royce. Mm-hmm. And then Royce put together this body in Germany, the Ordo Templi Orientis, mm-hmm. which was the order of the Eastern Temple. And um, and then uh, Crowley enters the fold. Um, fucks everything up. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I don't Who's know. to say? I, right. I think, I think um, there. I'm not sure if he really fucked it up. Royce actually introduced some sex magic stuff uh-huh. um, before Crowley, Crowley did. did. Wow. Yeah, because Royce was familiar with um, Beverly Pascal Randolph. Uh, and the uh what was it brotherhood of luxor brotherhood of Lu- there was an american in the, the south there was an american uh sex magic group in based in egyptian magical ceremonial right yeah and i can't remember the name of it either but yeah yeah, yeah. Her- hermetic brotherhood of luxor or whatever they mm-hmm, were called mm-hmm. and um blavatsky hated beverly pascal randolph and there was this whole thing and he brought this sort of western tantra to the to the scene royce knew about it somehow again i'm not a historian no, but yeah, i know yeah, yeah. i know this much and then there was emma harden emma emma harden british i forget her name emma right. anyway she wrote this book uh something about the bridegroom i forget it was required reading when i did some oto stuff right, right anyway right. so 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 he, so yeah, there were sex magic lineages kind of Crowley wasn't the one who totally introduced that. Right, right, right. But it, it but they did make that the central secret of uh of um Crowley OTO. Right. So well, there's like the top degree that was the end whatever from yeah. the, that order, right? It was the Yeah, the, that's their central I mean I don't know. The, no, 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 no. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just, it's interesting to see because it goes, to me, it goes back to there's, 
this uh, um, Indian aspect of that as well, where Tantra, it, Tantra, and it kind of goes back into Kundalini whole, and Kundalini stuff. and yeah, and just you know, basically getting yourself you know close, but well, then you know, ca- capturing the energy and then shooting it back up to you know, all through your chakras. And yeah, I think I now I haven't really done that I wouldn't know how to like transmute my semen and kind of make it go into my brain. I'm not even <laughs> sure how people do that. If, 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 if that's what we're talking about, I haven't done it. You know, I wouldn't know where to begin. I mean, are you supposed to get your semen to go up your spine? I think so. I don't know. Well, how, the, how the hell does that work? With know. a straw? <laughs> what do you got to do? Get Hook some pump up in the back of your neck and just pump it up there? Yep. Yeah, you just got to get somebody to get, jam it up there somehow getting some I, semen in my brain <laughs> is that desirable somehow i have no idea i mean the shit you read i i don't know because people like everything everybody takes everything and twist it anyway but yeah you know so it's a it's a the the thing that i have seen and i'm just seeing in the in the ufo world right and this this is just ancillary and i have no proof of this or anything like that but it seems that a lot of the people that are into the more occult aspect of the phenomenon or the UFO phenomenon and all that stuff have ties to OTO and not in ways that you would expect a lot of them are authors or theologians or whatever. And they've, you know, done work written, you know, you know, authors, things like that. And, you know, they, they have like a kind of, you know, they're dabbling their feet into some of the OTO stuff. And I just wanted to see if there was like some type of, Something I was missing because I haven't, you know, that was something I've never explored before. You know what's cool about the OTO stuff? Have you ever, have you done like um, the Commandry? No, I like I stopped. Yeah, I stopped at Commandry because at the time I was a a poor college kid and I couldn't afford a thousand dollar hat and fucking sword. Oh, I didn't buy buy the hat. Oh, oh, I thought it was required to have the whole thing for here. It was anyway, you had to have the whole, you know, get up. Oh no! You could still do the the degrees. Oh, at okay. Least, at least in Phoenix, York, right bodies, you could. Yeah. So, so I did those degrees. They're they're great degrees. I mean, I particularly love the Royal Arch and then the Council, but but right. the Commandery, you know, with the Templarism and stuff, and we right. read about Templarism in proximity to Freemasonry, and I think I don't think they're very connected, but right, I right. do like the idea, and I like this Baphometic idea of Templarism. What I liked about OTO degrees, and I did some OTO degrees right. um, before I knew, before I found a, a, a Golden Dawn tradition, I, I was doing SRICF and some OTO stuff trying to approximate a Golden Dawn thing. Gotcha, gotcha. You know? yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, because there was, I didn't know of a good Golden Dawn lineage at that time. Right. But I, I have since found one some years ago. Right. So, so I don't do, I don't really screw around with OTO anymore. Just my own thing, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, what I did like about, um, and I liked a lot of things about OTO, but one of the main things I liked about their grades or their degrees was uh, there's more of a Saracenic reference point Ah. than, than a Christian Christian Templar reference point. So it's almost like you're seeing the other side of the, the thing wow that's, which that's, Rook, a, that's a different that's a dichotomy there that's awesome yeah so it, it's still you know basically crusader kind of chivalric stuff but mm-hmm. you're it's more from this uh saladin sort of hashashin ishmaeli kind of different perspective you know right which is kind of interesting to see 
yeah how that is and and how well it i think it completes a picture on this baphometic picture because when we talk about baphomet this was in like shinon parchment and we know that the templars at the preceptories had baphomet heads Mm -hmm. like they found them we know (laughs) kaput uh 58m yeah they they have found these heads you know yala inscribed on them they would say yala and cry loudly to baphomet Mm -hmm. and um so it's a strange thing that they would say under torture various templars you know how would they get together and say hey let's let's pull a fast one and just talk about baphomet (laughs) you know it's like there would be no reason to do that you know but if you're getting pulled by by horses from all all your quartered, yeah you're getting quartered you're gonna go yeah it's baphomet so so anyway like i think here's my kind of hypothesis and you know it's just based on whatever yeah um uh i think that the templars and the saracens on Temple Mount or around the Holy Land, obviously we're in close proximity with each other. Of course. And I think that maybe the Hashashin, Mm -hmm. uh, Hassani Sabah and his Hashashin and things like that, how they would do like hash and wine tinctures. Yeah, um, and they would ceremonial. Yeah, yeah. To administer entheogenic rituals and and certain initiatory rituals with this brazen head, this oracular head. Right. Um. So I'm not sure. Nobody really knows what precisely went down, mm-hmm. but but we do have some things from Templar confessions that give us an idea, and some of it sounds Saracenic, mm-hmm. and I and I think that, um. I think that there was a commingling of uh, initiatory currents there, and uh, oh, I, I completely agree. And I think without revealing <laughs> anything, you know, but you get into the whole Scottish Rite part of it, and there's a uh, definitely in one of the degrees where there's a um, shit. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say anything. <laughs> but the, I, I'm trying to remember because I took part in one of the degrees. It was funny. I. I um, it was like my first or second year and I, I went in and I was in for, you know, like I think it was the 19th degree and I showed up and it was like, Hey, um, yeah. Can you help us with these other three degrees? And it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. okay, let me just jump in. Right. But, um, you know, where it has the, the whole, um, uh, basic commingling of the, the Sarasetic side with the Masonic yeah. side yeah. And, and basically, bringing in the Sarasetic side to the to the Christian Masonic side of the order as brothers, you know. Which is also what the shrine does. Right. It, of course. Yes. Of course. Right. So it and, brings in other traditions. I remember being a kid, obviously, wait, I didn't even know what Freemasonry was, but I remember being a kid, like less than 10 years old. Right. And, and I saw on this big old, like Cadillac or a Lincoln or something on just parked on the side of the street and there was an emblem on it. Mm-hmm. And I know it today to be a shrine emblem, but right. I remember seeing this emblem when I was a kid and thinking, and I had a pretty developed thought for that age. I was like, now I think these people are Christian. But why do they have all this sort of pagan Egyptian kind of stuff right, going right. on? You know, like, and it wasn't those terms, but that was the, In, yeah, that's what your process. Yeah, that yeah. was the thoughts. I was like, I was like, I think these people, I think they're Christian, like I am. You know, right. but 
why are they messing yep. around with the uh, yeah <laughs> why, why do they have this weird looking stuff you know? yeah. no. I, I vaguely recognized it as being okay this is some sort of like maybe religious order or something like that right, but, right. Um, that's cool though that that you had that that's pretty interesting to remember yeah was, i was probably i don't know seven eight years old wow you put that together well it, and then it goes back it's full circle to symbology I mean, you just show some somebody a, a symbol or, or, or you know an anagram or like here and it right. invokes a i would i would dare say a subconscious or uh, you know uh macrocosm response where it's just right. kind of like you know the collective conscious response where it's like oh yeah i know that what that is you know yeah like it does something to you without just even... like just like every every beaver on every continent knows how to make a dam and they don't need to you know confer with each other <laughs> Seriously, yeah, you're right. It's a great analogy. Yeah, they do. They just, it just, it just, they just know, right? right. They, they see a tree. We're gonna cut it down. We're gonna make this happen, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that's it, man. I, uh, I don't know. I so that was like one of the notes I took down. I don't know what the other ones was. Um, oh wow, space is without time. It was one of the things that we were talking about. Oh, space and time. Yeah, space and time. How they're inter- they're interrelated, but not. And you can they're malleable. I think in in terms of oh, what we were talking about last weekend when I yeah. was in town, right, was right. the the three hundred and sixty degree circle. The three hundred sixty degree circle, that, which is amazing. If you you got a, a couple of minutes, I'm sorry, I've, I've taken a bunch of your time, but man, no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So. So we owe that when we talk about, I usually, when I talk about this in my presentations and stuff, it's usually in the, in the context of the Masonic Anno Lucas, which is 4,000 BCE. Mm-hmm. Um, and around that time, and certainly in that age, we get uh, Sumerian culture, right. the, the civilization of Sumer in uh, the first of the Mesopotamian cultures that we know of, right? which is massive because they were the first to domesticate animals, farming, yeah. uh, uh, civilization, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, we found out about Gebekli Tepe later, but that doesn't necessarily qualify as civilization because civilization, there are certain criteria that have to be met. Uh, Urbanization, uh, art expression, agriculture, animal husbandry, stuff like that. So uh, Sumer, we find the whole package. That Mm -hmm. is civilization. And, And we have, and there is an intellectual sort of current that goes with that, which is they, they also had astronomers that, they were the first to um, to note that the annual solar circuit was about 360 days. Right. An annual solar cycle through the ecliptic. Mm-hmm. And then they used days as degrees, essentially. Mm-hmm. So the 360 degree circle is essentially the same as our year. And this 360 degree circle, this is what I find so mind blowing. Right. It is still the it is still the the basis of the sexagesimal language that we use to talk about everything space and time. So today, me and you, John, when we're talking about um, oh, it's around the corner, or it's you know ninety degrees or a forty-five degree angle, and you know this building something and ge- geometry and when we talk about what time is it oh it's 6:30 
Right. Uh, there's seconds and minutes and degrees and things and days and 72 and 96 and 30 and 60 and 12. And all of these numbers are sexagesimal numbers. They fit right. this sex. They're not decimal like digits. Right. You know, these are counting integers. These right. are what we, the decimal system comes from our digits and it's what we use to count. You know, Johnny has three apples, one, two, three. Right, right, right. You know, but when we're talking space and time, we use a different system. We don't use decimal for that. Right. We use sexagesimal. Hmm. And sexagesimal is 12 and 96 and 30 and 72 and all these numbers, right? Right. 360, right. 180, 90, 45. Right. And, and that's, um, those are space-time numbers, right? right? And they come from an annual solar circuit, and they come from about 6,000 years ago in ancient Sumer. And we, we've not thought of another way to talk about space and time since then. Right. So, so if you're into, like, I know you're an alien guy, and you're into <laughs> probably into Sitchin and stuff, or have been at yeah, one point into Sitchin. Right. Uh, who knows what sort of epic of Gilgamesh sort of transmission of alien Anunnaki sort of knowledge laid the sexagesimal system on these people? Or, a la Tellinger, was it some sort of, like, Central African, like, 20 250,000 year old gold mines where they were you know people were this um human beings were a gold mining slave culture for the proto anunnaki or whatever they were for monoatomic I mean, gold and all. yeah right exactly who knows right yeah so what we do know is around the time of the masonic analucas and the dawn of civilization as we've come to qualify it is is how is when we came up with when mankind, particularly the Sumerians, came up with the sexagesimal system, the 360-degree circle. Um, you, again, you don't talk about a 90-degree. You don't talk about a square mm -hmm. unless you're talking in, in, in the absence of reference to a 360-degree circle. That's what it is. It's, what is a square? The fourth part, part of, of a circle. circle. Yeah. Right. So yeah. space and time is all sexagesimal, and it's all from right around the Analucas. So I think our Analucas kind of points to that Taurian age circle. And it's fascinating to me. I, I worked on it a lot in both, actually all three of my books, because I got a new book coming out. Yeah, your new book coming out. Let's talk about that, man, because we got to pump that up. I mean, I saw the cover. It looks rad, but like, I mean, I, I'm sorry I'm keeping you. I know it's late. No, it's man. fine. But it's I'd fine. love to hear about the new book. Just, I mean, if you got a second, because I, I it seems just go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, so the new book is um, it's called the archetypal temple and it's a collection of essays from the last few years since the, since the last book, basically. Right. And the overarching theme through these essays is the, the temple archetype. So what's the best way to put this? Here's, here's what I'd like to convey through this, this sort of, compendium of essays and here's what i think the the big theme is and it's kind of represented in the artwork that uh that travis lawrence did on the cover and that's what i was getting at like i saw the cover and i was like and it just really like we were just talking about it, the symbology of it just kind of strikes you and you're like oh wow yeah it does something you, to you you'll notice that yeah there's like a cave and then a primitive temple on top of that and this temple archetype 
built as a tell on top of the others in in this full spectrum of the temple archetype is kind of what we were imagining with that which is what i got (laughs) yeah so here's here's what i mean by that to reduce that down to a couple of sentences is we we as masons i believe my sort of thesis is this the central project of freemasonry is to build temples Mm mm-hmm Freemasons are builders. We are charged to build temples. Mm-hmm. The The temple building is the our project. Now, what does that mean? So to talk about that, we have the inner temple in man. We mm-hmm. have the physical temple. We have the mnemonic temple. We have the temple that we erect through memory work. Because you'll notice when you're memorizing stuff in a Masonic lodge, whether it's your catechism or your your uh, a lecture or or degree work or anything it's always like what did you do next i went to the west and i and the senior warden taught me how to wear my apron and and then you always go, then i went to the east then i went to the south and right. i sat in the northeast corner and you're always kind of orienting yourself it's constant orientation and if you're remembering this stuff you are making a mnemonic temple in your mind. I know that you right now as a Freemason, I know that you and I share this, that we both have an inner mnemonic temple that we can, I know it by heart, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? And when, and when, and since all Freemasons have that, because we are all builders, since all of us have that, we are collectively projecting that into our egregore. So there's an egregorical temple above that. Right. And there is an astral temple, a cosmic temple, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens, um, you know, for which we, we um, strive you know, to, yeah, right. Ex- to which we fit ourselves as living stones, you right. know? Yeah. So as we, as we erect all of these various hermetic planes of the temple archetype, yeah. From the grossest, densest material plane to the to the rarest etheric kind of cosmic plane kind of uh, um, transmission. It's, it's right? like a lineage kind of almost, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think that that I kind of position the in the Freemason as builder and his project being um the the erection of the various hermetic planes of the temple archetype that's awesome man that's the new book i can't wait when is it coming out 922 which is the autumnal equinox and um i think i'm i, I think it was 8:17 a.m. on wednesday 922 wednesday is wednesday the day of mercury right the day of hermes and uh at 8.17, I think it was 8.17 a.m., uh, Mercury will be, I think, in Gemini on the Ascendant at that time in Phoenix, Arizona. Nice. So I, so I wanted to pick a um, an, a good astrological election mm-hmm. because, you know, in astrology, particularly um, electional astrology, cathartic astrology, they say set it off on a good on a good astrological footing that super rad man i'm so pumped i mean your books i'm going to post all the links to all your books and everywhere to get them i mean 
Magic Myth Masonry, uh, uh-huh. Approaching the Middle Chamber, and the new book is called... The Archetypal Temple. The Archetypal yeah. Temple. Anybody, And these books are for Masons or non-Masons. I mean, if, if you're a Mason, you're yeah. obviously going to pick up on things that are just going to, you know, you're going to check boxes. But if you just pick this book up, that you're not Mason, if you have any, any type of inkling in any Western esotericism, or if you just want to get involved in it, yeah, your books are great, man. They're awesome. Yeah. And I really appreciate you all the all the work you do, and I really appreciate you putting up with me and and taking time to hang out and talk. Oh, it's and, a pleasure, brother. I really appreciate so, it, man. Good to we, see you, and it was a pleasure to meet you over last weekend. And and uh, do give me a link when this comes out. I'll I'll uh, post it to my um, maybe my blog or my. I do have a blog. I have a website. Did you see my website? Yeah, the, websites. JamiePaulLamb.com. It's great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you, we can reach out to you for tarot readings for all kinds of stuff, right? People can yeah. reach out to you and, and hit you up for pretty much anything astrology well, and tarot reading. Astrology and tarot reading and, uh, and music stuff. The music like stuff I, is great. Yeah. I, I've, I've got a method. If you look on there, I've got a method of, uh, playing one's natal chart um at the harmonium through various hermetic correspondences so which is awesome i saw you the one you did about hiroshima oh yeah yeah that's intense yeah (laughs) that's intense but that's like we could do a whole nother show about we should do we just let's just do more shows (laughs) yeah anytime anytime so anyway it's been a pleasure and I'll, i'll i hope to talk to you soon and definitely send me a link I will. Thanks a bunch, brother. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thanks, brother. All right. Take care. Good night. Good night.